Blog Talk Radio. Hello and uh, good morning. It is uh, March 11th and uh, this is uh, the Be Above Leadership um, monthly blog talk radio program and uh, I am Ursula Pottinger and I'm here with uh, my wonderful business partner and friend Anne Betts. Good morning Anne. Hi, Ursula, and welcome, everybody. And we have, gosh, we've got a fun topic today. We're going to talk about resilience from, in terms of neuroscience and in terms of coaching and consciousness. And, and uh, I'm excited because I think we all need it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is, it is a really, it is a fascinating uh, topic. I think it is even the word resilience uh, when I hear it brings up, you know, memories and examples of, of what I see, not, not even from a neuroscience perspective, but just even just from an experience perspective. You know, yeah, what does I, resilience feel like? You know, it's interesting because I, uh, we were, we've, Ursula and I have been doing some reading about this, and, and I um, wanted to mention, for whatever reason, that the word resilience it um, it comes from the Latin word to it basically to leap again. So re you know to to, re, to do it again. Yeah. And it comes from in um, uh, salir I think which is the Latin for leap. So it's the it's like the ability to to do it again to leap again to go again which we so need don't we. Yes, you know, we we need it in everyday life. We need it, uh, you know, we need it also, you know, looking at um, um, just general um, news around the world. Um, I think uh, very often, you know, either natural disasters, either right, right at our front door or further further away, um, certainly um, require us. I think from a just really from a human uh, from the human perspective, it, well, I we need to, to be resilient. Yeah, and I wanted to make that distinction. So a lot of the resilience research is really done on um, on um, dramatic, what I would call sort of dramatic resilience versus day-to-day resilience. And we're going to focus more on day-to-day resilience than dramatic resilience. So dramatic resilience is, um, and that's where most of the research is, by the way, it's dramatic resilience. And so resilience of what does it take to recover after a tragedy? Uh, and there have been there's a lot of studies there, you know, after a tsunami, after September 11th, all of that. Um, and there's less re- there's less research done on just you know the de- what we would call day to day resilience. Although there certainly mm-hmm. is there certainly is some, um, and we want to talk more about that in on this call because that's where we really feel like coaching plays the most role. Um, is the day-to-day, not so much the post-trauma kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So with this, uh, with this, with this great topic, then there is so much. Where shall we, we, we begin? Well, I wanted to just start by telling a story because I said to Ursula before we got on the call that it's a great topic for me today um, because I'm so aware of the need for recovery. Um, 
in day-to-day life. So the story that I have is that I was um, teaching a class this morning, and unfortunately I had my computer open uh, because I wanted to see if one of the people on the class, uh, because of daylight savings time, she was late, and I wanted to see if she was going to mm. email me. So mm-hmm. an email pops up, and I see in the headline, you know, and unfortunately did not inhibit myself from reading it, which is on me. Um, but the email was um, about the amount of financial aid that we were going to get from one of my son's colleges that he wants to go to, which was basically zero. Um, And these are not cheap colleges, by the way. He's not going to community college. And really, um, I I was noticing that that in that moment, um, my ears started getting hot. (laughs) I, like, really (laughs) could feel my stomach. What we now, what we really know is fight or flight chemicals. I could feel my stomach getting a little fluttery, uh, my heart pounding a little more, uh, and my ears getting hot for some reason. That's some, you know, focus, some adrenaline or cortisol going on there. And yep. the need to, uh, what I here's what I know, that that because of the work that 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 we've been doing and the amount of coaching I've had in my lifetime and the the um, focus that we've had on consciousness and all of that, what I know is, even in that moment when I'm going, oh, excuse my language, shit. <laughs> Can I say that on yes. talk? Uh, that <laughs> You're going to get censored. <laughs> I'm going to get censored. I'll get bleeped. Um, even in that moment that I'm going, oh, my goodness, um, I know I'm going to be fine. I just know that it, because what's been created in my brain and what we really want and we want to unpack today for all of us is, well, how? How is it that I can have that kind of blow, you know, what feels almost a little bit like a body blow, um, and then know that I'm going to be fine to be on the radio with you all, you know, 20 minutes later? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 fascinating, and in your example of uh, of reading this email and and knowing that you're okay and recovering uh, to you know to a different uh, to a different feeling and a different state. Um, you know, I I think where I would like to begin is is actually um, telling our readers, and this might be just a revisiting, but for our new listeners, it's really. Looking at well, what happens in the brain first of all when we when we get you know shocking news or when we you know look at an email like that you know what happens um, and then maybe going to well what happens with resilience what is the what is the brain's natural uh, recovery process? <coughs> yeah, excuse me, that was so cute. Yeah. You said readers. <laughs> listeners. Oh, did I say readers? <laughs> like oh. our readers. <laughs> listeners. Maybe yes. you're reading it. Maybe there's a transcript yeah. anyway, not to pick on you. Yes. Yeah, I think that's great. So what happens is um, what we're talking about is stress and the body's response to the brain mm-hmm. and the body's response to stress. And so basically what happens is stress puts us into some level of fight, flight, or freeze. And it does this through by by triggering chemicals. Um, primarily, we get adrenaline, um, which which is designed to amp us up, to make us. You know, you get a burst mm-hmm. of adrenaline. It focuses you. It gives you more um, strength and more speed. And it can also make the like decision. It focuses you sort of on like the one thing you need to do to survive. 
That's what I mean by focus. It does not make you necessarily a better thinker. It makes you a better reactor. Mm-hmm. And then we get cortisol, which is another stress chemical, stress hormone, that is designed to um, help shut down some of the things in our body that we don't need in that moment, like immune system and immune function and things like that. So what we get is uh, the ability to survive but not really thrive when we're under right. stress. Mm-hmm. What do you want to add to that, Ursula? Well, uh, what I want to add to that is that, uh, you know, in the brain and in the body, the constant threat, the constant stress um, really has a, um, it's, it's, um, I'm wanting to refer back to the article that, that I just read because um, they're calling it a um, sort of like a, like a, you know, almost like a biological typhoon you you know the brain and the body gets flooded with those chemicals that then enable us to uh, you know fight off or flight and i think that when that stays in the body for long periods of time we really never have the brain does and the body and the feeling of the person never has a total um it, it never gets completely to a normal set point again so right. one and there, stressor adds to the next stressor, adds to the next stressor, and um, you know the body really gets flooded. Yeah, and one will be, once you have some of these hormones going through your body, it's it's it, the um, the next stress. If you haven't returned to a place of homeostasis, the next stress will will trigger you more. And everybody knows that feeling of the straw that broke the camel's back. And what it is is that you've gotten your chemicals to a state where you can't manage anymore. So, um, you know, (laughs) I think of like when I was a young mom and, you know, Noah needing me and then the dog needing to go out and then Robert (laughs) asked my ex-husband asking me like where his watch was or something and by the you know every, I remember yelling one time if one more thing in this house needs me I'm going to blow up <laughs> and, and him saying to me I really resent being referred to as a thing <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that that's beautiful I, that is such a great great example I resent being referred to as a thing <laughs> well, was, he was totally right and totally fair and I was just I'd had it because it was trying to regulate and trying to get myself back to, to stasis and then the next um, thing coming along to kind of knock me out. So the body wants to, it wants to regulate, it wants to be at this, we, we seek balance. You know, everything yeah. in nature seeks balance. If you look at a, you know, a tree limb that falls and catches on another tree limb, it will find the balance point. Yes. Uh, so any I think kind of uh, – yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's it's, it's very interesting that uh, you know really our our brain and our bodies they really are seeking a, some kind of an equilibrium to which uh, to which they can return and uh, you know I I think that uh, we are I mean we are so beautifully wired and constructed that our bodies really can help us get back to this equilibrium. Well, and I think that's, yeah, that's really well said. And one of the things that was quite um, lovely that we found as we were doing some more research on on resilience, and this is from dramatic resilience, is that um, what's fascinating is over time, after about six months, even from a 
you know, very traumatic event, most people recover on their own. Not everyone, but most people mm-hmm. find a way to process this and recover on their own. So we are naturally meant to be very resilient. Things can wear that down, like too much ongoing stress. I know that there are... Um, there have been times in my life where uh, going into work, I could. Ju- I wasn't aware of it at the time, but in looking back, and Ursula, I know you've got an example too that you can tell. But I remember, you know, walking in the door at work, and I could like the butterflies in my stomach would just yeah. kick up the minute I got on the elevator, or maybe even just like parking my car. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I absolutely, I have a number of examples. And I, you know, as we're talking about uh, stress and uh, also certain um, situations that are not only stressful, but are sort of like a little bit like, like, a, like a disaster or almost could turn into a disaster, I remember a... Uh, I remember a drive back from uh, we had uh, in the winter time uh, we had visited friends in Toronto and uh, we for, for whatever reason we had decided to take the car um you know in December to drive from Minneapolis to Toronto I, I have no idea why we did that but uh, we had decided <laughs> you're to European, do that I and guess I don't know <laughs> I guess you know we are European no and we North like American adventure. would do that let me just tell you <laughs> no I know I know we you know and we were thinking of you know taking extra luggage and etc and presents because this was a a wedding but anyway on the way back we um we ran into an ice storm um and you know ice is a uh freezing rain that then turned into ice is a very strange Mm. phenomenon because you can't actually see it on the road you know Mm. when it snows you know it's snowing and and there it is and and so i remember we're on the highway and um, it is, it's extremely busy. It's nighttime. Um, we're driving fairly, fairly slow, but you know, still fast enough. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, my husband, who is driving, hits an, an ice patch, and the car turns around. And all of a sudden, we are facing the wrong way. And I'm, all Ooh. I'm seeing are these headlights coming towards me. Ooh. All these cars rushing to me, and uh, and my husband is trying to, you know, drive and regulate the constant turning and slipping of the car. On one side, there's a deep embankment. You know, on the other side, there are cars everywhere. And I remember very clearly, the only thing I kept saying to him is, is I said to him, yes, sir, just don't brake, don't hit the brakes. And he is, he keeps saying, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And lo and behold, somehow he turns the car and in the right direction and we keep just driving. Now, behind us, you know, the cars that are trying to avoid us, they're, you know, they're not doing so well. Anyway, we keep going in this stream of traffic to the next exit. We get off the road, we park at the, um, at the gas station and it is when we're parked at the gas station that 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 my body suddenly got hit by the chemicals or by then I'm noticing yeah. it on my heart is beating you know I am I am ready to burst into tears um so it was interesting to me that while this was going on while my life literally flashed 
in front of me yeah. in the few seconds. I was totally calm and not panicked, and it hit me only when we stopped, and I had time to think about it. Yeah, wow, that's it's a great story, especially as we're coming out of winter, and one I think a lot of people can relate to. So um, great example of the way that these chemicals hit us. And so the question that we have become fascinated with is uh, I want to – is what then, what, what, what creates resilience, or as Ursula and I start referring to it, closing the gap. And let me speak just a little bit more to closing the gap, Ursula. Yeah. Um, so what we know is that we want to stay safe. There's, a, there's some interesting uh, examples in the literature of people who do not have like don't have any fear. They're, they're born without the part of their body or it gets damaged, the part of their body that can really, you know, kick up fear, which is largely the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not a really safe way to live. It's, I wouldn't actually, there have been times that I think, oh, God, it'd be great to live without fear. But fear is a really useful thing, like in Ursula's story about the, the ice. You know, it's useful to be, a, just to be going la, la, la while your car is yep. spinning out of control would not be very good. <laughs> wouldn't be, nope. you, you know, she might not be with us, which would be a bad thing. <laughs> So we need to have this, and we will have this if we're normal human beings. We will have that that message that can often, you know, that can also tell us, like, look, the situation is dangerous, you know, cross over to the other side of the street, don't open the door, those kinds of things. Um, That's helpful. The issue for us is how do you recover back to that place where you can think clearly again. Uh, just like my example earlier, you know, I get this email, and how long, what's the gap between where I'm, you know, freaking out a little bit to where I can actually be rational again? Because the freaking out is not a brain state that is helpful. It's normal. And we don't want to, yep. you know, pathologize it or say it's bad. It's normal. It's just not a place where you can think the best. And if you go to, particularly if you go to um, yourcoachingbrain.wordpress.com, which is my blog about the brain, um, there's a couple of great articles in there about why this is. The Goldilocks of the Brain is one, and there's another one called the Whoosh, which just as a reference will tell you a little bit about why it is that we, do not, we don't have access to really good, clear thought when we are overwhelmed with the fight-or-flight chemicals. Yeah, we talk a lot in uh, in our work about effectiveness, and it, it's it is normal to have uh, you know to feel either panic or worry, anxiety, frustration, anger, you know, any anything that's normal. I mean, it's it's it's, it's this is these are just emotions. It just is not effective to to act uh, from that. State. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, so it's not it's not effective to reply to an email. You know, when you are in that in that state, it's probably wiser to just wait a bit. <laughs> exactly. You want to wait till your chemicals calm down. And so, what Ursula and I have noticed over the years, as we've been working with some of our tools and being coached and coaching each other and teaching, is that 
our ga- our recovery, our resilience gaps have gotten shorter. And this is what I passionately want for people. Not that you never react, but that your gap of recovery where you can come back, feel like uh feel clear-headed again and emotionally yes. calm, that 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 happens more and more quickly for you. Because that's what effectiveness is. If we can, you know, include that, of course, we get upset. You know, I, I was, I was, I was a little upset for a few minutes this morning when that came through, and it, and it wasn't a big dramatic thing. And for some of you, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But for me, it was a little challenging. But I recovered mm-hmm. more quickly than I would have a few years ago. So why yeah. is that, Ursula? Why are we recovering more quickly, and what can people do? I'm sure they want to know. Well, well, it, it, goodness gracious, if, if, if that were an easy answer, I'm sure that, uh, you know, we could wrap this up in 10 minutes, but unfortunately well, it, it isn't. However, I drug and make a, make a lot of money. <laughs> let's, let's just do that. Well, that would be better. Uh, apparently, we create a drug. Well, I, you know, according to the, uh, the, this wonderful uh, article from uh, Scientific American regarding the resilience study, I mean, it's, it's, it really they are trying actually to develop something, yeah. but it is years, years and years and years away. Um, however, I think that uh, there are... Uh, there are some um, in the article that they call it a chain of interacting proteins that actually contribute to the brain's sort of equilibrium or its its capacity to find its way back to balance. So that would be one place to look. But I think for me more so, um, it really is, for me, it is really related to awareness and consciousness, the well, closing yeah, ab- of the gap. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was joking about the drug because that is, of course, where the money is to be made, is mm-hmm. always in the drug. But it certainly has not been our answer um, because there's, there's, you know, the drugs always, they, there's always um, side effects and, uh, other impacts that they have, and it's not really, in 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 our experience, it's not really necessary because there are things that we can do with our brains and with our awareness that really do seem to increase resilience. And you know, exact some of it we know why it's working. Some of it we maybe don't know as much around. How are all of these chemical chains interacting? But um, but we can maybe we can maybe guess a little bit at at some of that. So I want to talk a little about GABA because I think that's part of it. Yep. So let's talk about GABA. We love GABA, right? We love GABA. Yes, yes. And as soon as you say GABA, the color pink comes to mind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, GABA. We first learned about GABA from our from our uh, wonderful mentor and teacher Dan Siegel who, if you, um, by the way, haven't checked him out, you can find him at mindsight.org. I believe it's an org. And he's got a great new book out about the teenage brain called Brainstorm. Yeah. And he is just um, he is just a, a huge, he's one of the great lights of this century, I believe. He's one of the most forward-thinking guys. Well, he describes GABA as gamma immunobutraic acid. And the technical uh definition of GABA is it is the chief, the main inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. So it inhibits. 
some of these stress chemicals in terms of what they're doing in our brain. And when it, so Ursula says the color pink because Dan's analogy is metaphor, which is very helpful, is GABA is Pepto-Bismol for the brain. Yeah, it's uh, really the calming, the calming and the soothing, just like uh, Pepto-Bismol um, does for an upset stomach. Um, it does that for an upset brain. Now, <laughs> an the... upset brain, oh my God. <laughs> and the brain uh, so and the body then... are so intricately connected that when we're having these, you know, butterflies in our stomach and all of that, mm-hmm. that's also an indication that to some degree our uh, prefrontal cortex, the higher brain, is also going to be somewhat compromised in its thinking. And that's what we want. So go ahead, honey. What were you going to say? Yeah. So, um, so then, uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners are curious about what creates GABA. So I really want to look at, you know, from uh, now from a coaching perspective and and it it does not necessarily have to be in a coaching relationship but it's certainly a coaching tool that we use um you know what creates this gaba um in our brain so that we um that that you know the the upset brain you know feels the calming you know the feels the calming sensation and we are more able to think clearer um, well, there's than a, we let did me before. Talk, yeah, let me talk about that a little bit because there's a basically what you want when we get stressed and into fight or flight. What happens is one of our older brains takes over our limbic system, um, which is really uh, much more cued to survival. And what we want to get GABA activated is we actually want our later brain, our prefrontal cortex, to be the one that's that's participating, because um, it's sort of like it's like it's Elvis has left the building. And all of the rationality and everything that I like to say, the prefrontal cortex does what we think of as thinking. Um, Our whole brain is thinking, but what we're conscious of, aware of, processing and thinking. And, you know, the the thing happens, Elvis leaves the building, we've got to get that brain back. And so anything that we can do that puts a shout out and says, hey, I need you, is disruptive to the system and will call that brain back. So Mm -hmm. in coaching, we will do things like ask a powerful question or even simply asking someone, wow, how are you feeling right now? Tell me. Right. Disruptive the system. (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, this 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 ability or or the uh, not the ability the requirement to then focus on well what am I actually feeling and then putting that into words so naming the emotion I this is the name for it this is actually what I feel really sort of focuses the brain and channels that into into a really really deep focus that is very very helpful for the brain. Absolutely, because, and one of the reasons is it actually, you, if, if you really are, you know, sometimes people can, it's not the, you know, the only way, and there's a bunch of other ways that are probably even more powerful, but just that simple thing, um, you can't just react to it. Or if you react to it and you're with someone like a coach who can say, but, but you know, if you just, well, I'm mad. Okay, great. You know, tell me more about being mad. At some point, mm-hmm. you have to stop reacting and start thinking 
and call and you know your brain says, "Hey, prefrontal cortex, we kicked you out. You know, we we kicked you out of the building, but we need you back here because they're asking me to think." And if the prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex comes back, you can imagine it sort of walking into the building with its buckets of Pepto Bismol. All right, I'm back. <laughs> Let's put out the fire. <laughs> oh gosh, that is uh, that is really really that's a beautiful that's a beautiful picture. Now, uh, so I'm I'm both uh, want to share an observation, and I'm also curious about something. So my observation is. Um, with myself as well as with you know some of my clients that the more we work on naming the emotion and being present to it and describing it and maybe you know using a metaphor or journaling and you know lots of other tools the more able they are in their own lives to sort of self generate that and i i certainly you know know that about my own life and it seems to me um that there are some people that are just naturally more um, less impacted by certain life events than others. You know, there yeah. are people that are just, they just bounce back with such force and strength. It is just absolutely unbelievable. There's so one particular client that uh, comes to mind um, who went through a very traumatic experience um, last year, and she's, you know, in her early 30s, and with great presence and um, yeah, with great presence, she really, uh, the, her resilience, it was astonishing. Yeah, and, and without, you know, obviously we don't know, want no more details about the client and without knowing, it's, it's um, I think that there are, from a neuroscience perspective, there's probably a couple of, you know, some potential reasons there that I'll, I'll muse on for a minute. Um, some people, it's possible, may be born, may be genetically programmed to actually be more resilient. Um, this could be for a couple of reasons. I mean, there are some chemicals. We won't go into that um, exactly because it just gets us way too technical with strings of letters. But there are some chemicals in addition to GABA that the brain has that have been linked to greater recovery. Now, mm-hmm. it could be that just genetically they carry more of these. Um, we also know that trauma can be passed down genetically, and there's new yes. emerging research on this. So it may also be that their family carries less history of trauma, and so they're just their resilience is more in mm-hmm. in place because it hasn't been mm-hmm. compromised as much. And I will I'll talk about this passing down because you find whole families that are less resilient and whole families that are more resilient. Um, and it's not just learned behavior. So this is new research in the field of epigenetics, one of the most fascinating studies that just came out. And there's more than this. So by the way, this is huge, and it will be huger, I promise you. It's the most mm-hmm. provocative, interesting thing that's coming out. But they did a study where they trained mice to be afraid of the scent of cherry blossoms. I think we've talked about this before. Yep. And then the mice's the mice's. <laughs> <laughs> the little mices, the, the mice grandchildren um, were also afraid of the scent of cherry blossoms, and it was not learned behavior. It was not observational behavior. They separated mm-hmm. them. So yeah. something is getting passed on, and I think trauma and reactivity and maybe a sensitivity, maybe a more dominance of cortisol, we don't know, may also have people more or less resilient. So mm-hmm. that's point number one. 
The second point, and this goes more to coaching and more to our own experience in using ourselves as laboratory test rats, which is basically all Ursula and I have been doing for the last 10 plus years is running we, our own we laboratory. Are <laughs> we are the mice. We are the, we are the laboratory of consciousness. <laughs> we are rats in a, in a lab. Um, that what we've seen is that it can also be developed. And I think when I, you know, talk about this, the, the like get the prefrontal, you were saying, you know, the more you work with clients on just even naming the emotion, the better they are in their own life. Well, I think what's happening has to do with neuroplasticity. And that's the ability of the brain to change itself. And many of you know all know about that already. And you know we've written and talked about that um, on its own. Um, so I think when we make a habit, and a coach asks us again and again, you know, name the emotion. What's really going on here? What happens is we develop a default neural pathway that when something difficult happens we reconnect with our prefrontal cortex. So it's an up, it's a bottom-up integration. So something mm-hmm. happens in the lower brain, and so the older brain is actually physically lower in our head. That's what I call it bottom-up, or top-down integration might be a better way of saying it. Something happens, and we react, and it's almost like we've got little ropes, little neural pathways, mm-hmm. little paths, like walked paths, plowed paths through the snow, because I'm looking out my window right now in Minnesota, these plowed paths that we can walk down and say, come back, come back with your GABA. (laughs) And if we've never done it or had a coach help us, it's sort of like we're standing there out in the snow and no pathway to reach this person, this part of our brain that's left the building. Well, you know what's uh, interesting about that um, is it sort of makes me ponder um, whether it is actually, um, how shall I say this? It, it, is actually, it can actually be beneficial that we have some uh, life challenges happening to us rather than the plain sailing of, you know, you know sort of the, 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 the golden life where, you know, from, from birth till, you know, you're sort of 30, it's plain sailing and it, everything works out all the time and you have a great family and great school and great high school experience, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Although who that would be, I don't know. It must be one of the rare, rare people. But I think that maybe, you know, Encountering uh, challenges is really a beautifully built-in system of life to help us strengthen that so that as we move on into life and get older and older with more life experience, that the previous experiences of challenges and how we overcame it actually helps our brain to find that pathway, that plowed pathway through the snow that says, you've been here before and this is what you did, so let's just do it again. I think that is, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think that's so brilliant. And, you know, I think about you're a parent and I'm a parent. And, you know, I think about my, you know, my wonderful son who I just love beyond anything. Um, You know, we want to protect them. We don't want them to have to go through this stuff. And yet the research shows that is not such a good idea. They need to know that they're capable. Yeah, they need to know that they they have access to resilience. That you know that it is possible that we can recover from uh, you know 
heal from anything. Um, yeah. And that ability, you know, really, uh, you know, not only gives them hope, but it really gives them tools to, uh, to deep, you know, to dive into and pull out when it's needed. Yeah, it's one of those paradoxes, and I, you know, I like to say that if we're, if it's not paradoxical, we haven't gone deep enough. And so, the paradox is that there are things that have happened to me. Um, you know, that I wouldn't really wish on anybody. You know, I, and I wouldn't, you know, like I think about my own son and went going through a divorce five years ago. Well, I don't know that I would wish on any kid going through a divorce and having to have two separate homes. Like, that's not something I think yeehaw about. Mm-hmm. And yet I know that it has given him something really, really valuable. Um, and so the paradox is we wouldn't, we wouldn't wish it upon people, and yet it might be what we need in order to be at our most effective. Well, and I think, uh, yes, absolutely, and I think what comes with this, and I also know that, uh, uh, again, you know, Dan Siegel talks a lot about this in his, um, in his program, um, our ability to talk about things like that, the challenges, and make meaning from it you know what you know what is the meaning of you know being a child and going through a divorce or you know in in your case and also in the case of my children moving to a different country you know having to make new friends being in a different culture uh in and some of the challenges that come with that but I also end, I think that we need people in our lives to help us, you know, to sit down and say, well, what does this mean? What does this feeling of isolation mean? What does this feeling of loneliness mean? What does it mean? What does it mean when you don't understand the language 100% of the time? Because that making meaning and making stories from there really help us integrate that learning and um, help us overcome some of the traumatic uh, experiences that come with it. Yeah, I, I really love that, and I think that's another huge thing that we do as coaches from whatever coaching school that we're from, whatever technique that we're doing, a lot of it is making meaning. Making meaning that you can, that is empowering rather than disempowering. Meaning that you can integrate, be with and use. And it makes me think about the, you know, what, what we call the action reflection cycle. I think there might be something out on your coaching brain about the, there, I'm pretty sure there is, there's an action reflection cycle post also on your coaching brain where we talk about, you know, things happen. And that really has to do with, you know, we, or we do something, well, that's really engaging our motor cortex. And until we reflect on it, we can't really use the learning. If it's just, if we're going through life just with, you know, stuff happening, 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 without any chance to pause and say, wait a minute, what does this mean? What's the meaning I want to make out of this? What's the empowering meaning, ideally? then we don't have anything we can use going forward to learn from and be better at and more effective. Yeah, and and on top of that is I think there's a big difference between making meaning through story um, versus, you know, retelling the same story again and again. 
and activating those stress chemicals again by just revisiting that event uh, from a yeah. you know from a very stressful perspective. So there's a big difference between going to the story and saying, "Here is what I've felt, and here's what it means, and here's what I've learned, and here's what I haven't learned, and here's what I'm curious about," versus just retelling the story of the you know the disaster that is that is not as helpful. Yeah, and I, I love that you that you brought that up as well. And there's there's it's interesting. Um, so this has to do with the fact that our our brain, I think our I like to say sometimes that there's aspects of our brain that are a bit like three year olds. Like you need to distract it, and you know you need to like they'll just tell the story again and again. Um, because we're kind of mm-hmm. just programmed to do that because we're really we're so heavily programmed for survival. So mm-hmm. here's what happens. Our brains don't, just like a three-year-old, our brains don't know the difference chemically. And some of you I'm sure have heard this before. We do not know the difference between imagination and reality. I'm, I'm going to write an article that says, Your Brain the Three-Year-Old. <laughs> Because <laughs> really, it's like a little kid, you know, with, with you know, making stuff up. So when we revisit a story, and if, if you want to try this, you know, go right ahead and we'll prove it to you. When you um, retell your victim story, for example, about the bad thing that somebody did to you and really get into it, what you will find if you're a, you know, reasonably normal human being, usually if you really tell it, like, you know, poor you, what you'll find is you will feel the same as you are telling it as you did when it first happened because you're just activating yeah, because the brain the doesn't chemical. know. The br- yeah. Right. The brain doesn't know whether you're back there or whether you're just talking about it and you're not there. Yeah. And we, we had this one time. I was we, Ursula and I were driving to a, to a meeting or to lead a training, and I was complaining about somebody that we, that we both knew. And, and I was telling this story, you're not going to believe what she did. Da, 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 da. And, and I was realizing as I got into it, like, oh, my God, I'm just back there. I'm like my heart's beating, and I can feel myself getting, yeah, like, you know, more angry. And I went, oh, this is really good. This is why um, venting needs to be contained. It needs to be short. <laughs> it needs to be short. And it's really different than naming the emotion. And what they found in the traumatic resilience work is that they used to have this process, and they still use it to some degree, of, of what they called debriefing people after natural disasters, yes. where yep. they wanted to get them a chance to like get it out, you know, tell the story. And it, yeah. it doesn't work with everyone because for some people – because the brain doesn't know the difference, it just re-traumatizes. Yes, yeah. Oh, I can so see that. I can just so understand it versus, you know, really um, having people um, really look at that, but really from a, from a ma- meaning-making uh, standpoint. Um, well, yeah, well, what, no, absolutely. And what you want to do, and just to build on what you're saying, Ursula, what you want to do is be able to look at it um, from what the Buddhists would call observer mind, mm-hmm. which is the part of your brain that actually is not a three-year-old. Um, the observer <laughs> mind, you know, is, is a wise. It's the, wise, the, wise, it's the wise 90-year-old. <laughs> yes, the wise one that can, that can stand there and, and gently look at 
oh, okay, I'm feeling upset now. What's going on in my body? It's the part that I activated when I said, oh, my ears are getting hot. That's interesting. And so it's this paradox of being present to what's going on without getting caught up and lost in it. Mm-hmm. And at, at the Coaches Training Institute, where both Ursula and I are trained, and I know there's other models of this for in other works, we do something called process coaching, which comes out of process work. And that's what we're doing. And people sometimes get concerned about doing it. Oh, I'm just going to mm-hmm. you know, reactivate. No, not if you mm-hmm. are having them observe it without getting into the drama of it. Mm-hmm. You have yes. to get your client into observer mind where they can just tell you, this is what I'm aware of. And if they're telling you what's going on, I'm aware of feeling this, you cannot be aware of feeling something from the middle of it like Ursula's story about being in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, it is it, it really is uh, it is fascinating the the challenges and uh, you know the shortening the gap to really um, you know be in life this resilience and I love the leaping back uh, you know translation of that it really I really get a visual is that cool so. So in in closing and wrapping up, um, uh, really what I want to leave the listener with is is a couple of things. So retelling the story but from an observer mind will help the brain will help the brain be you know be more focused and will help resilience will help the leaping back the bouncing back. Um, and then the the really the just the naming of it the naming of the emotion is is another part that that helps. Yeah, um, can I just things? go a little bit? Let me just go to big picture for a minute, Ursula. I think yep. What 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 my real takeaway with this is, um, we just need to get Elvis back in the building. You know, <laughs> we just need the we need the prefrontal cortex to uh. come back. And, and the more that we do that in various ways, whether it's helping someone take a new perspective, that brings the prefrontal cortex back. Focusing yes. on values, that brings it back. Naming, being present, all of these things. Being present to your body sensations will bring that observer mind back into the, back into the building. Um, anything that you do, and then the more often you do it, I like to think of it as I'm, you know, I'm making a pathway, I'm throwing cables of rope, and I'm making that relationship between my lower reactive brain and my upper processing brain stronger and more reliable. Yeah. And I can certainly see it in my clients that have worked on this for a while that uh, they really are bouncing back and don't get sucked into the the same kind of deep um, you know chaos that that they used to be and I see it in myself i mean it, it yeah. when something happens, I really do bounce back uh, faster and uh, you know am I've, I've, what, one of the gifts of all this has been that I feel that I'm a lot more that I'm a lot calmer under stress than I used mm. to be. I don't Which lose is, it quite as quickly. 
which is so much more effective and it's so much more um, you know what we want and I think you know there's a there's a that people that have been coaching for a while or maybe even not that long um, clients will will often say some some things that are pretty sweet like I was about to do this and then I heard your voice in my head yes <laughs> and yes. then I t- made a different choice right um, and yeah what I really what I really think about that Ursula is that um, that's that neural pathway, and they mm-hmm. may hold it as our voice. It's actually the voice to their higher brain. And they've, what we mm-hmm. want for our clients is not, I don't want to be on call as the problem solver for the rest of my life. That's too much burden, and I don't have time. I want them to become more and more resilient. I really want them not to need me, but to use, you know, more and more use me in different ways that are more and more creative because they've got their own resilience and increased capacity to recover. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I also think that, you know, back to resilience, that there are, um, you know, there are different coping mechanisms that people actually naturally have that they go to. When something really traumatic happens, there is an automatic go-to place. And I think that can also be strengthened. Yes, and a lot of the work, just to, just to do our little bit of promotion before we sign off, um, a lot of the work that we're doing in the neuroscience and consciousness um, coaching program is giving you tools for more and more targeted resilience, more and more targeted to build the parts of the brain that help our clients be more um, creative and effective. So we've got some really great stuff coming up. We have an executive coaching program. This one is open to consultants as well and HR, experienced HR professionals. That's going to be in California, April uh, 4th through 6th. We have a number of classes starting. You can go to our website, uh, Washington, D.C., end of April. We have Toronto in May and also London, England in May. All of those places still have some room in them. Um, what else have we got going on? We've got a, a uh, preview call we have, coming up. Yeah, we have a preview call coming up uh, March 26th at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, and we uh, are basically giving you a very brief overview and preview of what's to come. Um, you can ask questions, and we usually share a um, little tool with, um, with the people that call in as well um, just to, so that they can play with, with some of the tools that we get an opportunity to play with every day. So if you want to look and uh, check it out, uh, our website is beaboveleadership.com. Um, and you, where, where are you? You're heading to Italy shortly, I'm aren't you? going off to Italy to speak at the ICF conference in Italy uh, uh, next week, I guess, so, uh, in about a week. So um, super excited about that. I'll be speaking about the neuroscience of consciousness. So that is that exciting. Is, it is. It's very, it's very cool. Uh, so and where, where are you going to be in Verona, right? You're going to Verona, be in Verona, Italy. Yeah, Verona, Italy. That's our next our next speaking gig. We will also both be at the Midwest ICF conference in June. We're doing a workshop session there. Yes. Um, we, will be, we will be talking about our seven levels of effectiveness and coaching. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a really like, don't miss that. 
wonderful yeah, that's opportunity. Going be, that's going to be very fun. It's going to be a great conference, and uh, we will have details on the website as well as on our Be Above Facebook page. Um, so yes, please like us on have, Facebook. Yes, like us. Like us on Facebook. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for a great okay. call, Ursula. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next. Oh, that's sorry. One more thing. Sorry. Next month, next month, special call. Um, Ursula, I hope you got my email about this. I want to do a yes. call on the original work on consciousness, largely from David Hawkins. We'll probably also look a little at Spiral Dynamics and Ken Wilber. We're going to be, that would be this great. is going to be, for those David Hawkins fans, consciousness fans, we are going to spend a solid hour on that call, really going through the original research on consciousness that the Be Above model is based on. So don't based miss on, that one. Yep. That is going to be that's going to be very exciting. And again, um, we will um, post the call um, on the on on the on our Facebook uh, on our Facebook page. So thanks, Anne. This was wonderful, and thanks for sending me this amazing article on resilience. That really was made for fascinating reading. Thanks to all our uh, listeners. We appreciate uh, the time that you spend with us, and we will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye, bye.